Stay tuned for Wine Crush, Northwest Wine Stories Uncorked. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. Thanks for joining us here on Portland Radio Project. Today, host Heidi Moore will guide us through the stories of two local winemakers. One happens to be women-owned and operated, as well as dog-friendly. The other focuses on small production and emphasizes working with the wines they love, as well as a bit of experimentation. So today we have Mary Olson and Liz Clark from Airly Winery in the studio. So happy you guys both joined us. It was it was a little bit of a trek. <laughs> it was. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah. Thanks I mean, probably me. more of a trek for Mary than it was for you since you just hitched a ride. <laughs> but, right. you know, it's, it's all good. So when we're talking about Airly Wine, it really is a gorgeous location. I want to kind of do things a little bit different this time and really start with the winery and where it's at and really what makes it special because it truly is a destination winery. It is a destination winery, and we're located just southwest of Monmouth, northwest of Corvallis. If you know where Kings Valley is, we're not very far from Kings Valley. And anyone who's coming from Portland, if you're going to Newport, you should come right by the winery because it's the shortcut to Newport. And uh, so we're about 50 miles from Newport, kind of nestled into the coastal mountain range. Now that you say that, I mean, I've seen the sign for years, and it took me actually calling you and say, hey... <laughs> You know, to actually make it out there. And it was so worth the drive and it was so worth the spot, not only for just the destination and the beauty of it all, but also the wines were amazing as well. You know, when we were talking about a little bit earlier before we started recording and you have this beautiful pond right in the middle of the winery. And it's to me is very Andy Griffith-esque in the fact that there is a no swimming sign and there's a dock and it is dog friendly. So Tell us a little bit more about what Airly consists of and really what where Airly came from. Well, the winery itself was named after the little town of Airly. And Airly, Oregon at one time was one of the larger cities in Oregon, if you can believe that. And now I have to stop at the stop sign once in a while because there's a car coming. But but uh, so we are out there um, just off of 99W um, that we have a beautiful pond. It's a rather large pond um, and it's full of dogs on most weekends. So uh, the dogs can swim, the people can't. We have uh, 26 acres of grapes currently and uh, about 40 acres total. And uh, it's just kind of nestled in there. And and when people drive up, they're kind of amazed that that place exists. It was a very awe moment. I mean, when I drove up, I'm like, this can't be the place. I mean, this is just, it literally is in this little valley of Kings Valley, of course. And I had no idea there was a little town called Airlie because... I don't think it exists anymore. If it is, it's just it's a little pit stop. Right. Yeah, maybe a ghost town. Doesn't at this have point. a zip code or anything. <laughs> okay, okay. It's one, it's one of those. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it's, it's such a cool location and what a beautiful place to live. But I mean, kind of spinning a little bit and kind of going back to your story, wine wasn't your first career no. choice. No, it wasn't. Um, I actually, um, when I graduated from college, I went to work for one of the baby bells. And uh, Northwestern Bell at the time, and uh, I had a, a pretty long career, about the same as I've been at the winery now since '97. But I worked for the telephone company up until coming to Airly. And at one point, I was transferred to Oregon, 
and fell in love with this state and the wine industry. And that was in the early 90s. And so all the wineries were my size. They were all small. You could talk to the owners or the winemakers. And so I'd go out on weekends and visit the wineries and kept on just telling myself, in my next life, I'm going to buy a winery and move back to Oregon. So when and how did that happen then? Well, it um, I worked for the telephone company and had a pretty nice career. I was transferred 16 times in 22 years. That is crazy. That was crazy. So I didn't have a life outside the telephone company at all, other than drinking wine, to get through. I loved what I did most of the time, but finally I was promoted high enough they found out they liked me better from afar. So, that's, that's, not, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it wasn't a bad thing at no. all. So I had my dream in mind, and so I started looking for a winery. And so why, why there? I mean, what opportunity came up there to where that's where you put down roots? Well, back in 96, when I was looking, I didn't know how to look for a winery that was for sale. And so I went and hired a real, well, I had a realtor that I was working with, and there wasn't much for sale, but we went and looked at different properties. I thought, well, maybe I'll have to plant grapes. And uh, and finally, um, Mike McLean from Spring Hill said, there's this couple that talks about retiring. Maybe we should go look at it and see if you might be interested. So we did. And when I drove up that half a mile of gravel road, and I, I thought, this is perfect. It, it was big enough um, to so I could have a winemaker, but small enough not to be so big that it would be overwhelming. So, And so Airly was born, and there you were. And there I was. They founded it in 86, and I bought it in 97. Well, kind of on that note, we're going to introduce Liz and get her to actually talk into the mic here <laughs> in the next break. Okay. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We left off talking about how you got to Early, and we've hinted the fact that Liz is going to start talking too, and she has become your winemaker in the last, I was going to say a couple of years, but it's been a while since you've been the winemaker at Early. Yeah. So why don't we kind of start there and kind of how you came into the picture and how this whole team has become what it is now. Yeah. So um, I came to Airly in 2005. I had um, actually came to Oregon in 2000 and got interested in wine sort of through catering and and similar to kind of what happened with Mary, was catering for wineries and met winemakers and met people in the industry and was just drawn to the industry. I didn't know much about wine. And um so I approached a winemaker I liked and then said, I don't know anything. Will you give me a job? And he said, sure. So I spent five years with Myron Redford at Amity Vineyards. And in 2005, the position at Airly opened up and basically Myron kicked me out the door and said, I think you can do it. And so unfortunately, Mary agreed. So she hired me on in, in spring of 2005. That's actually pretty awesome because, I mean, a lot of bosses don't want to give up good employees. <laughs> And so the fact that he kicked you out to find a new opportunity yeah. is really, I mean, gives accolades to him. Yeah. And how lucky have you been to have such a great teammate in this whole wine thing? Unbelievably lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same. <laughs> because, because what I know about making wine, but I was glad that I called up Myron and, and asked him um, if he had to hire a winemaker, who would he hire? And um, it's been perfect. Yeah. Yeah. What, a, what a great compliment for the both of you. I mean, honestly, I mean, it's just, I love hearing stories like that because you don't hear that a lot of time in business. No, I feel very fortunate that, yeah, Mary runs the business and runs the tasting room and, and keeps the winery on track and I just have to make the wines. So 
it's what I enjoy doing. So it works out really well for me. And it was really fun when I was up there because originally I sat down with Mary. We talked about the dogs because it is a dog-friendly winery, which is super unique in the wine industry and the fact that you welcome them all as long as they're behaved, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we had the discussion about that. And then you kind of came in and then we went to the tasting room and and really got to kind of taste through what your specialties are and what you guys are doing up there. Yeah. So let's kind of shift and kind of pivot a little bit and let's talk about the wine because you do have a different spin and take on what you're doing up there. So one of the things I really enjoy about Early is actually that we're so white focused. So about two thirds of our production is white wine and um, across seven different varietals. So, um, and often they're made in different styles. So you really, if you come to the tasting room, you really have an opportunity to taste across all these different wines and different styles and maybe just find some wine you didn't know about that you I especially love people that say they don't drink white wine. If I can get them to start tasting, they might actually find one that they like. So, Well, I think when I was in there, I mean, you had a lot on the flight at that point in time. I mean, we usually, always do. <laughs> usually, you know, you see three or four, maybe five, you know, but I, there was like well, 15 or something like that. It was it was a crazy number. And the, your yeah. question was, so what do you want to drink? And I'm like, I don't know, you pick. <laughs> I mean, it's just... You know, we didn't taste it. Uh, so I love aromatic white wines. And yep. so, and it is not a, it's not something that you see all the time. So why whites? Um, I, this is sort of how, well, I mean, it was set by the time I got there that that's what was planted. I've worked with them for this many years. I think it's actually really perfect because we're, we are a cooler site and it really helps maintain the acidity in the white wine grapes. And so I think it makes for more acid driven, prettier white wines. So it works out that it's a really good fit for the site as well. And then um, then we do have Pinot Noir, of course, um, and we have Marshal Foch, which is another red grape. So again, you sort of have an opportunity to come taste something a little bit different if you're not a huge Pinot fan, we, which is just sacrilege here in the Willamette Valley, I'm just saying. But if you're not, <laughs> we do have another red grape to come and taste. So, Well, I want to kind of circle back to the whites, but I want to take just a moment and pause right here and come back and talk a little bit more about what you are doing with the whites, because it is... It's not just Pinot Gris and it's not just Riesling. Okay. It's, you've got a lot of different things going on up there. So we pause do. right there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wine Crush, one of our locally produced podcasts at Portland Radio Project. Get in touch, discover, listen at prp.fm. We left off talking about whites because we kind of glazed over it, like just kind of, you know, skimmed the surface. And I want to dive deeper because of all of those 15 wines that were sitting on that bar when I tasted with you, (laughs) I think 13 of them probably were whites of different blends, varietals and whatever. So I want you to kind of go more into that because you aren't just doing Pinot Gris. You're doing doing a lot of things, including this beautiful rosé that we just poured that everybody is enjoying currently. Yes. yes. So the rosé is of Pinot Noir. So the whites, um, we do tend to focus on aromatic whites. So we have um, Riesling, Gewürz, Pinot Gris, of course, Pinot Blanc, Chardonnay, uh, and then Muller Turgau, which is a Riesling cross. It's, um, it's in the valley. You don't always find it by itself. Um, so it's kind of nice to be able to taste it as a single varietal again. And then um, there's a Muscat Ottenel that uh, we'll actually be releasing this fall, a dessert version of that. So those are our seven white wines. And then we generally make them on the dry side. Um, definitely Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Riesling, Gewürz are all dry, Chardonnay's dry. And then there's also a medium dry Riesling as well. And then, then we start playing with it after that as far as blends and other things and 
force carbonated sparkling wines. And oh, you said the magic word. So <laughs> there was no, there was no sparkling wine when I was there. Okay, well, so there's two right you're now. holding out. <laughs> you just have to come visit more often. Uh, okay, I'll put I'll put it on the schedule. <laughs> It's never enough. <laughs> it's it's never enough. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's there's just so much wine and trying to circle back to everybody because everybody that's on here, I'm like, I need to come back. You yeah. didn't tell me you had that. Yeah. So it, it'll definitely be a destination because we've been trying to get a girl trip out there for a couple of months. And so it'll it'll happen. Okay. I hope you still have some sparkling out there when I get back out there. We'll still have some. Yeah. We'll have something. Okay. Sparkling. Okay. Sure. Okay. That's it's a deal. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about like all your white wines, all your red wines, your pink, everything that you're going, you know, and you're doing, when we're talking favorites, which mm -hmm. is, you know, like choosing your favorite child and it all is day to day. I know that. So I'm going to start with Mary because she looked at me a little bit cross-eyed when I said that. So <laughs> well, what's your favorite? Customers ask me that all the time. And, yeah. And I always steer them around to their all my children. However, that um, I'm particularly fond of the Pinot Blanc, uh, Elizabeth talked me into grafting over some plants uh, probably five, six, seven years ago now yeah, um, to um, to some Pinot Blanc. And uh, because she made it at Amity and really liked the wine, and I'm really glad she talked me into that in the vineyard because I love the Pinot Blanc. It just is a great seafood wine, and I like seafood. And so my absolute favorite, if somebody said you could only drink one thing for the rest of your life, I'd always be in pursuit of the perfect Pinot Noir. But I love having the variety that we have because there's no ding-dong calories on my body. It's all good food and wine. <laughs> I like that. We need, to, we need to, like, you know, like coin that. You know, you can have your own meme about ding-dongs and wine and food. <laughs> we'll have to – we'll work on that. All right. Okay, Liz, your turn. So Pinot Noir is – Yeah, I yeah. think – Actually, for us at the house, I mean, at home with my husband, we really actually drink a pretty broad variety of wines because it really is driven by what we're eating. So it actually is our first question is, so what's for dinner? And it's like, okay, what are we going to drink? And periodically we start with, what do we want to drink? It's like, okay, then what are we going to cook if that's what we want to drink? Mm -hmm. But again, yeah, we tend towards Pinot Blanc for sure. And then um, dry Rieslings usually. And then um, I love sparkling. So I'm, I'm always pushing that we drink something bubbly with dinner. I'm a big fan of sparkling wine with food. I think it's actually a really nice pairing most of the time. And then Pinot Noir and um, and then to get out of the country, we generally drink Chianti. So. Nice. That's a good round answer for the both of you. Yeah. So I want to make sure that people know exactly where to find you both on social media and in person. Mm -hmm. So take it away. Early Winery and our social media is Early Winery. <laughs> and so Instagram, Facebook, Early Winery, and that's our website is earlywinery.com. So you can find us and bring your pooch. We, we pack just a picnic. Pack a picnic because we don't think of our, I don't think of my winery as a place to uh, just go in and out. It's a place to sip and stay. So people come and spend the afternoon. I love that. And what a great note to end on. Uh, thank you, ladies, so much for making the trek from the mountains <laughs> and sharing the wine both physically and, you know, through the podcast with what you guys are doing. So I will be back. Great. We'd love to have you. Thank you. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com.
Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Let's meet our next guest today, Siler from Barnum Vintners. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, we're neighbors. Yes, we are. So we are living in the Eola Hills Mecca of the valley, right? Yeah. So kind of like with the girls from Early, I kind of want you to tell people about Eola Hills and what makes it so special and what makes your site what it is. Yeah, I mean, we've been in the valley for a long time and really gotten you know, the opportunity to try a lot of wines from a lot of different places, a lot of different subregions, soil types, microclimates in the Willamette Valley. And we identified fairly early on that one of the places that consistently performed above and beyond and that we were really excited about that made some of the most compelling as well as unique wines in the valley were in the Yola Hills combination of our volcanic soils, specifically where we're at, as well as opportunities to get into elevation and aspect. And we were very lucky in 2018 to find a property that had an established vineyard on it, actually one of the oldest in the ABA, that needed a little bit of work. We're going through the process right now of resurrecting a uh, a site planted in 1975, a combination of Riesling and Pinot Noir uh, east-facing slopes from 720 to 780 foot, just really everything that we were looking for when we came to the valley in terms of style, higher elevation, more crisp, more elegant style wines overall. So it's really interesting that you just said that was planted in 1975 because I've driven by it multiple times a week for 10 years and would have never guessed that, that that's the age of those vines. So with them being that old, what does that bring to it? It's an interesting thing. I mean, people talk a lot about old vine. It's something that's definitely... um, arguably overbranded in the industry. I find personally that vines with a little bit more age, as well as I'm sure that many other experts in the industry would agree that vines with a little bit more age have um, a little bit more complexity. They have a little bit more purity and expression to a certain extent. One of the best analogies, if I can try to speed it up for the segment um, that I've heard about grapevines, is that grapevines uh, perform through their lives uh, a lot like humans do. You know, they're born, they're planted in the ground at you know zero. They act like toddlers, and they go through youthful stages, and they go through where a part where they start to express themselves when they're teenagers, and they kind of hit a norm when they become adults, and they kind of have you know they're high performers. They're you know they're career driven. They do what they need to do, and then they you know slowly our vines are getting to be around forty five. They're still you know rather normal aged adult performing well, have good expression. They get to a point where they become really set in their ways, but they 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 don't want to work too hard. They get to a point where they um they really are pure in their expression. They're consistent, but they don't overproduce. They don't overachieve. And we're really lucky that our vines are kind of right at the beginning of what I would call their golden years of age. Um, and yeah. Interesting. So with everything that you've done because I've talked to you quite a bit mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. I want to get into your story, but I want to wait till the, you know, the next segment to really get into that. Yeah. I guess I want to really understand, you know, what Eola Hills is other than what you've talked about. Absolutely. Because I mean, it's you hear Dundee, you hear this, you hear that, but Eola is kind of has been this hidden gem in the valley that people are now starting to take notice of. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, that's that's one of the things I in terms of trying to come up with getting people to come. I mean, cuz the Eola Hills is it's just a little bit further than Dundee. We're literally 10, 15 minutes from Dundee and it's bridging that gap. It's almost, I joke, and I've, I've also kind of built it into the branding of what I think the Yola Amity Hills is, is, I mean, it's the frontier of the Willamette Valley to a certain extent. I mean, people are coming down, they're traveling into wine country, they're moving through wine country, they're learning about the history and they make it to Shehalem, they make it to Ribbon Ridge, they make it maybe out into Carlton and the, the Yamhill Carlton area, but mostly they're they're coming through. I mean, the highest density of traffic is through the Dundee Hills. And we're 
just 10 minutes further. It's astonishing that little bit of distance. And I find that, I mean, again, with the soil types being similar to Dundee, the a lot of the really established producers, I would, you know, fairly strongly say that some of the best wines, if not the best wines in the valley, are being grown in the Yola Hills. And definitely, um, I don't think anybody would make an argument with the, the some of the best vineyards, if not the best vineyards in the in the valley, are in the Yola Hills. It's really um, incredibly, incredibly interesting. Well, I love the fact that we've kind of nailed that down because I don't know if we've really had that full conversation about that. So I want to stop right here and Mm -hmm. we're going to come back and we're going to talk about how you got into the wine industry and why. Cool. Hey, thanks for listening. Why not head over to iTunes and write us a review? We'd love to hear from you, and it helps others find out about our show. For new episodes of Wine Crush and to discover other PRP podcasts, check out the PRP Podcast Co-op at prp.fm. So we left off talking about your story, well, hinting about your story, and you didn't really start in the Willamette Valley. No. So let's start where you started and how you got here and how you, and I want to kind of circle back because we talked about it off mic about the vineyard and kind of the condition that it was in when you and your wife bought it. So um, let's do that. We're circling back to the beginning. Yeah. Let's circle back to the beginning. Let's circle back to the beginning. Okay. Circle the wagons. My name is Siler Varnum and I make some wine. Um, My wife and I are both born in Arizona and um, we went to the same school but didn't know each other until afterwards and met each other. I was teaching wine classes in Tucson, Arizona, and she was interested in maybe changing careers or pursuing other options. She's an educator. She teaches high school, chemistry, science, uh, so on and so forth. And meeting a teacher while teaching is an interesting thing. She had lots of uh, feedback to give me on how good I was as a teacher. But we both had an interest in wine, um, a passion for it. I got into the industry um, really in 2007, 2008. Uh, I, I made a little bit of wine at home as well as came up here and did an internship at Limelson Winery and learned a lot from the great Anthony King. Taught me most everything that I know about wine, everything else from there. We've kind of just picked up as we went. We've been very lucky. One of the main reasons we moved to the Willamette Valley, um, besides both of us having family history here, um, as well as loving the wines that are coming out of here, is that, and many people have said it before, but the Willamette Valley is one of the only regions in the world that has this sort of community collaboration, corroboration. We work together and we're very, very open with sharing information. And without that kind of support, we would have never been able to get our brand to where we are today. We hear that over and over and over again. And, you know, I've been to a few different wine regions and talked to wine people, and it's not the same. It's not the same in Washington that you would maybe anticipate, but it's not California that is very tight-lipped, it seems like, about their tips and tricks and, you know, what they're doing. So it is the beauty of what the Willamette Valley has been. And, I mean, as a wine lover, it's it makes the wine that much better when you're hearing this collaboration and this agreement and this camaraderie of everybody working yeah. within it. And and it's definitely for, I mean, it, not, working in it as well, I mean, this is unique. I mean, it's something that a few of us that have, have lived in it know about. But I mean, even for the customers, I feel like even for the people that are coming out and visiting, there's a feel to going to a winery in the Willamette Valley that has an authenticity, that has a purity, that has uh, a uniqueness of expression and personality that is completely unique to this area. I mean, it's it's really a fascinating as well as empowering and passionate thing that the Valley has going on. Um, I mean, and we were talking again about, you know, I find that even more to a certain extent in the Old Amity Hills because we are just a little bit further and you find that just people are much more willing and excited to to welcome you to the community. We've been incredibly lucky and, and been welcomed by many, many people and getting a lot of immediate support from, you know, former friends as well as new friends in the Valley. 
So um, where are you guys at right now as far as, you know, your, the tasting room's open. Yep. Yep. So you guys have settled. I mean, when I was over there a couple of weeks ago, Tara had, you know, the brand new baby strapped to strapped to the front of her and was out trudging around. Yep. And so you guys have your handfuls out there. Yeah, we do. Typically both of them at the same time, actually, both hands full. But yeah, no, we've got, uh, especially right now, we've got my uh, my daughters are in town. So we are uh, we are seasonally parents of four. We've got a newborn, we've got a three-year-old, and we now have my, my five and eight-year-old with us. Um, which has actually been helpful because the five and the eight year old have been really, really helpful with taking care of the little one. And they also are, they helped me build a road the other day. But yeah, no, it's been a lot of work. We've been resurrecting this vineyard, uh, working on getting it back into production. Again, planted in 75, but hasn't really been taken care of in 10 years. So we've been working on that. Getting the tasting room open has been a huge move thing for us. It was really part of a five year goal for us to have our own space and get open. And it's really, really great to share our wines more and more with with people. That's really what got us into the industry is wanting, you know, our passion for wine as well as being able to share those wines ourselves, wines that we make, wines that we're passionate about with people directly. And that is a great place to stop because we're going to talk about wine in just a second. And don't say another word because we're going to come back and talk about all your goodies that you brought us. All right. I'm thirsty. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Okay, it's time to talk about wine. Okay. You've brought us three beautiful bottles. The one is my favorite because of the way it's packaged. And so let's talk about what you're doing. Yeah. So you got uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Well, yeah, we do. Uh, we do a little bit of everything, but definitely our our main passion and our focus, the the impetus for why we moved here, are, what we are most passionate about is Riesling, Pinot, and Sparkling, which is to say that three wines is hard to focus on. But that's what we're built around. We're built around Riesling, Sparkling, and Pinot. So that's what I brought today. Um, it's part of everything that we do. All of our flights will always have at least one of those wines on them. What I brought today is Porch Pink, which is our 12-ounce beer bottle twist-off sparkling rosé. Um, it's also our Brut Rosé. It's the same juice. Our Riesling, which is really – we were talking about the Desert Island thing before. Riesling is 100% my go-to wine. Uh, it's the most versatile. It's the most expressive of sight. This is our flagship Riesling that I brought with us, our old vine. And then Pinot from our favorite clone, which is Pomard. We do a little bit of whole cluster. That's really, we like those more structured, more sort of savory qualities that we're getting out of that. And that's what we're shooting for with Pinot. So the porch pink, mm -hmm. because I love everything about that packaging. Because yeah. I, I love things that are quirky and unique. I took home a six pack. Yeah. So the, it is it is packaged in like beer bottles yeah. with a beer bottle type looking label yeah. with the twist top. And you can pack them away in a six pack. And it's fantastic because it's a half a bottle of wine, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. We, um, I tell people all the time, like, I mean, uh, Varnum Vintners, our, our punchline is made to drink, don't overthink. Um, we're very, very passionate about the vineyard sourcing, the farming, the wines, how we're making them. You know, we have a lot of very, very high standards for what we're doing. But we're trying to be very casual about the way that we present our wines, the way that we share our wines, the way that we express them to other people. and that's, you know, really stemmed around the, the basis of the fact that at the end of the day, wine is a beverage and you're supposed to drink it and you can spend a lot of time, you can waste a lot of time trying to, you know, overthink things. And that's exactly where our practicing goes. It's made to drink and overthink. And this porch pink is, is that, you know, we, we were searching for an ability to make 
an approachable, sparkling pink wine that everybody could get a hold of. And we were having a hard time with the packaging. I mean, it's just expensive, the little bottles. And we were able to find, you know, a beer bottle, which is a standard thing that's available. The beer industry has been supporting these for years, are very readily available and very inexpensive. And we we're able to pass that on. We want to make a product that it's not pretentious on, on packaging. It's something that is affordable. Well, the, your other one that you have sparkling is a Mueller. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's a sparkling Mueller, and it's a Mueller High Life. It, it looks, it looks a little, High Life. It looks a little yes. Millery. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's, it's it's Mueller Genuine Craft. It is the beer of champagnes. We talked about Mueller earlier. It's a really, really great grape that is being forgotten about in the valley. I mean, it's it's interesting to think of these these ancestral varietals that have been planted here that are the heritage and culture, the the, the founding history of the Willamette Valley, and they're being torn out because of the Pinot craze, of the Chardonnay craze, of the whatever the next craze is. People are forgetting about these great grapes that are planted here that have really tremendous potential to make delicious wines. So let's just briefly touch on the tasting room and because you do have some great specials going every month. Yeah. So we try to create interesting flights to keep people interested. I mean, again, we're a small brand. We make six to 800 cases of wine a year, but we make around 13 different wines and we're able to showcase different things each month. So last month we did a rosé feature. We actually poured four different rosés on the flight, four different styles, really showing you not only is that wine a color, but it can be a method as well. This month, it's my birth month, so I get to pick the flight. We're doing uh, Riesling, so we're doing three different single vineyard Rieslings. And the next coming months, we'll be doing a sparkling flight. So we're, we're always trying to change it up and keep it, uh, keep it interesting for people as well as um, you know add a little bit of education in if people are interested in that. Well, thank you for joining us. I am so glad that I swung in and um, we got to enjoy wines and everything else. And I'll see you probably next week, actually. Yeah, stumble down the hill. Yes. <laughs> I can walk home from your house. Perfect. Thank you for joining us for the 11th episode of Wine Crush Season 2. Have a great weekend, and we will see you at the bottom of the glass. Ta-da! 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 I love it.